This is episode number 321 with advanced data scientist Morgan Mendes. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by Data Science Go 2020, our very own data science conference. We've already done three events in the past three years and we're moving into our fourth year in 2020. And to give you a feel for what to expect, here are some stats from DSGO 2019. We had 620 attendees fly in from 25 different countries, 38 speakers gave talks, 150 plus business decision makers attended the sessions as well. And get this, 2,400 cups of coffee were drank during the networking sessions. So Data Science Go is not just a place where you will get all the top data science skills that you need for your career. That's definitely a huge component of the conference, but also it's a great place where the community comes together to network. At Data Science Go, you will meet data scientists and professionals from companies like Accenture, AIG, Wells Fargo, MasterCard, Facebook, Google, IBM, Microsoft, Salesforce, Teradata, Amazon, eBay, Shopify, and many, many more. So this is a great opportunity to meet and network with your colleagues, to meet and start catching up with your mentor, or maybe to even meet the manager at the next company that you'll be working for. At Data Science Go 2020, we've been almost doubling every single year. So we're expecting about a thousand attendees at this next event. Data Science Go is happening on the weekend of the 6th, 7th and 8th of November 2020. And you can already secure your tickets today at datasciencego.com. And one more thing is that we actually have different tracks. So we found that this is a very important component for attendees and we have tracks tailored to your experience. So if you're a beginner, there's a beginner track which will help you get the skills to break into data science. If you're an intermediate practitioner, there's an intermediate track for you to progress to advance. And if you're already advanced, there's an exclusive advanced track just for you. So whatever your level, you can find the right track, the right talks, the right workshops, the right sessions, and case studies and panels at Data Science Go. So on that note, this is the best conference for you to attend to skyrocket your data science career. So make sure to secure your ticket at datasciencego.com today. And I can't wait to meet you in person in California in November 2020. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super pumped to have you back here on the show. Our today's guest, Morgan Mendes, is one of the most advanced data scientists I have ever had the privilege of meeting in person. Uh, Morgan and I met at Data Science Go 2019 a couple months ago and since then, his life has taken on so many interesting twists and turns. You will be so excited to hear what's been going on in his life. Um, in this podcast, you will learn the story of how we met and why we got to chatting at Data Science Go in the first place. You'll also hear about a VP of Data Science, a Vice President of Data Science role that Morgan is helping fill 
in Washington DC. So if you're an advanced data scientist somewhere in that area, or if you're looking to relocate in that area, uh, this is going to be super exciting for you. Uh, roles like that don't just uh, lie around on the ground. Uh, they're quite hard to come by and this is an opportunity of a lifetime. So listen up, it's going to be really, really exciting. It's at the very start of this episode, you'll hear about that role. And even if you're not looking to get into a VP of data science position, maybe if it's a bit too early for you, maybe if uh, is that something you're aspiring towards in the future, it'll be very interesting to hear what kind of requirements are for uh, in a role like that and what is the goal of a role of a vice president of data science. You will also hear about why Morgan decided to turn down a very exciting opportunity in his career and in order to follow his dreams, pursue his dreams and passions and move to Haiti and what he's doing there. The very noble and admirable cause that he's helping with his data science skills called IET Analytics. You'll hear all about that and how you can get involved if you're also excited about helping others learn data science. So a very, very wonderful thing that Morgan and the team at IET Analytics are doing. And, and I was very inspired to share their story. And of course, we also went through Morgan's um, background and all of the great takeaways that he's learned along his way to becoming an advanced data scientist. So you'll learn about Excel and how uh, for some tool, for some applications, he still uses Excel and why it's important to know which tool to use where, how you can automate Excel with R and you'll get some very valuable tips there, especially on how you can save time to apply uh, to do more exciting things in data science. You learn about how Morgan mastered Python and why and when he uses R, when he uses Python, when he uses both, how he combined his data science skills with his econometric skills and what that led to. You'll also uh, learn a lot about the ETL process in data science, how to maintain models, why it's important. And also Morgan went into quite a lot of depth on the Airflow tool, a very cool tool for extract transform load procedures which you can already use in your career. So if you've never heard of Airflow below before, this is a great opportunity for you to get up to speed with this tool and see if it's right for you. Those are just some examples of what you will hear on this podcast. I'm very, very pumped about the conversation that we just had. And so let's not put it off. Without any further ado, I bring to you advanced data scientist, Morgan Mendes. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show because today we have a very interesting guest joining us, calling in from AT, Morgan Mendes. How are you going, Morgan? How's everything going for you there? Good. How's everything with you, girl? Amazing. Everything is good. And so cool that you're calling in from AT. Like, how do you pronounce it? Again, you just told me, I already forgot. How do you pronounce the, the, the name of the island? Uh, so it's Haiti in English, but people might know it also in Creole as Haiti. Mm -hmm. So it's a uh, means land of many mountains. That's the land of many what? Mountains. Mountains. Okay. Well, I've never been to Haiti. I would love to go one day. Um, and you told me your origin, like your uh, your mother is from Haiti, right? Yes, my mother is Haitian, and my father is from Malaysia. Okay, fantastic. Very cool. And it's very Interesting. You've you've only gone back there like what you said, twelve days ago. 
Yeah, so I just moved here about like 10 days ago um, mm. to start a new job down here. That's crazy. Like so much has been going on in your life. So let's rewind back a bit. So we met at Data Science Go 2019 in San Diego. That was what, uh, one and a half months ago, right? So, and since then, so much has happened. So like, first things first, like, how did you get to Data Science Go? Like, what were you doing there? Because I thought you were actually, you live in California. No, so what originally happened was about um, in 2018, I saw on LinkedIn um, a bunch of people in my network in data science had posted about Data Science Go being a really awesome conference and that mm -hmm. they were actually able to connect with other data science practitioners rather than with like industry and more corporate sponsors. So I remember during that week, I went ahead and got the early bird special and was like, yeah, I want to go to this conference in California. Mm -hmm. um, and coincidentally, um, through my work previously, I also got accepted to be a present presenter at another conference in, uh, in the San Francisco area. Mm -hmm. So I went out there and then I, I told my employers at the time, I was like, hey, I'm already going to be out here in California. Would you guys mind uh, supporting me going down to San Diego while I'm out there to go check out this data science conference that I've already paid for? Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, sure. Go down there, check it out. And also, if you can, make a plug for our new opportunity for data, uh, head of data science mm -hmm. at the team. Mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up at Data Science Go. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Okay. And then that's when we talked and uh, you mentioned that you're hiring for a VP of data science. Did you manage to find anybody at Data Science Go? No, so that that was actually the reason. I remember I came up to you at the the last day of the conference because I was like, man, I've met a lot of interesting people, a lot of students, and mm. a lot of them had questions for me. And you know, I was really excited to give back, but I was also a little frustrated because I was looking for somebody at a higher level who could help support the team, especially because I was interested in taking this opportunity in Haiti. Yeah. So that's when um, you invited me on the show, so I could hopefully let it be known that they're doing really cool and exciting things that inspire and. Yeah, if, and if we can meet somebody, that would be awesome. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to say that I really appreciated your feedback there, and we actually very actively took that on board and considered. It. And I was like, okay, why why couldn't Morgan find a VP of Data Science uh, at the event? How can we, you know, like like fix whatever the, that is indicating? And we've actually worked a lot on the event, and at the next uh, events at Data Science Go, starting from like the next immediate one. We're actually going to have a separate track for very advanced practitioners like yourself. Like we already had some advanced talks this time, um, and I think I think you mentioned you enjoyed like the Salesforce talk uh, the by the head of data science at Salesforce. Was that right? Yes, yes. She was talking about um, you know model comparison and kind of the infrastructure, and it was really great hearing hearing her perspective and. The future of Salesforce and data science there. Yeah, so like we already have a few talks like that, but next year we're actually going to have a separate dedicated track for advanced practitioners only. It'll be uh, very exclusive, uh, limited seating to get as many um, talented advanced practitioners like yourself in the conference, so that you can network with each other and also that you can give back to the uh, rest of the data science community. So definitely took your feedback on board. Thank you so much for. Uh, providing that and coming up to me. And indeed, uh, for our listeners out there, one of the reasons why I'm excited to have Morgan on the podcast today is because this is so rare where a company is hiring for a VP of data science. So if you're an advanced practitioner or you've been in data science for 
you know, three, four, five, six years or so or more, and you really believe you can lead not just uh, several data scientists into their professional career growth, but actually lead an organization in the space of data science. Morgan's got a great opportunity for you. This is actually, so as I understand, you were in this position yourself, and then you decided to leave to go to AT to pursue your uh, passion and dream in this other company. And now this position has freed up and you're looking to help your previous company fill this role. Is that right? Not, not exactly. So the opportunity ar arose early, right about the same time I went to Data Science Go. Mm -hmm. My previous manager had left and they were interested um, in me stepping up and taking on more responsibility. But at the time I was like, I'm really passionate about pursuing my dreams and that means I have to go to Haiti. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to support them as much as possible in finding this new per person to fill in the role. Mm -hmm. And I thought that it was really important that the person have data science experience from the get-go. Mm -hmm. um, not potentially somebody ladder who's making a horizontal move from software engineering or like a director of uh, business analytics, but more focused specifically on data science and has a vision, a strategy for the tools, but also how can we incorporate you know, design into and human elements into like healthcare. Okay, with gotcha. data science. Well, well, on that note, why don't you tell us a bit about your company that you've just left and where this opportunity exists, and uh, if anybody's interested, like how they can get get in touch about this role. Sure. So, Inspire is one of the largest online networks for patients and caregivers to share information about medical conditions. So Inspire is connecting people so they can share information to help help them really understand the condition, but also find emotional support through others. Mm -hmm. So through the position of data science, we're trying to find different ways that we can surface relevant content and information to people so that, that they can find others who are like themselves and who are going through these really complex medical conditions and potentially aren't able to get that information directly from the doctors. Mm -hmm. So a huge aspect of the work I was doing was trying to synthesize information and all this health data that they might be getting in, in terms of medical jargon and translate that into information that they can use to better plan and understand their condition to really honestly choose to live their lives in the best way that they can based on their own values. So not the values that potentially an academic is prescribing them, but based on giving them access to information so that they can make their own decisions. Okay, wow, that's that's very noble. Could you would you be able to provide an example of how you're using the data to uh, help patients with I don't given a specific condition, something like to, just to put it into um, like a, a, t a tangible output somebody would get. Okay, sure. So we have a product at, at Inspire mm -hmm. called. Um, so we're developing is called Health Profiles, mm -hmm. which actually allows you to you answer a few questions about yourself, and then you're able to see relatively in the community. For example, what drugs are you taking for your lung cancer? Mm -hmm. you, you you answer these questions, and then you could see other people in the community who are taking similar drugs, mm -hmm. and based on the privacy settings, because you know health information is security and privacy are really important to us at Inspire, or mm -hmm. I'm saying Inspire as we. But they're really important, so we want to protect the patient and give them full full control over their information. But we still want them to be able to find other people who they might be able to relate with and connect with on a personal level. So we want to use the data 
to help them connect. So they're able to answer these questions and they're able to find other people who've answered similarly and then reach out to those people if, they're, if they've said, hey, you can share my information with others in the community so that they can then ask them follow-up questions about, hey, you know, I've been getting this side effect from taking this drug. You know, have you experienced this as well, mm-hmm. right? Or they might say, hey, you know, I've had a really tough time adhering to my medication treatment schedule, you know, what are some tips that you do in order to stay on top of your, your medication schedule? Okay, okay, gotcha. Uh, that's a very, I would imagine, helpful service to people out there who are going through these tough challenges. So uh, hats off to you and to Inspire for doing this. This is a very cool undertaking. And uh, tell us a bit about the role. So this uh, VP of Data Science, how big would the team be? So the team is expected to grow. Um, when I left, there was about five members on the team. Mm-hmm. And from the indication of the CEO, they they really expect that data science is going to become the bread and butter of the company. So I wouldn't be surprised if the company were, I mean, the data science team were to grow to being something of 15 plus. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, yeah. I know I, I can't speak too much about it because I'm not currently at the organization. Hmm. However, they see the strategic um, importance of data science, and they really want to find new ways of leveraging the data that they currently have, and potentially looking to use existing open data to augment the data that they have as well. So, for example. There's a blue button that CMS or the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services, as well as the Veteran Affairs, have opened up via FIRE protocols. Mm-hmm. So this is also the same protocol that Apple HealthKit is using. So currently, as an, as if you're, let's say you're a veteran, you might be able to go in and get all of your medical information from Veteran Affairs, right? Mm-hmm. But this data is coming out to you in a text blob. How do you how do you visualize? How do you use that information? Mm-hmm. That's that's the challenge currently for for data scientists um, in the healthcare space is that we need to take this information and we need to be able to analyze and present it back to people in a way that then they can make their own decisions about their health and how they pursue medical services. So it's a huge political debate in the U.S. right now about how our medical system and how we pay for medical services. But one thing that's not debated by anybody is that patients should be in control of their medical information and they should be in control of their medical care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally get you. And uh, what kind of uh, person uh, is the company looking for for this position for VP of data What kind of experience? So they're definitely looking for somebody who's got uh, experience getting their hands dirty, yep. but they're also looking for somebody who has experience um, strategically um, envisioning how to lead a team and how to, how to take a product from prototype all the way to production and deployment. So they definitely want somebody who has the engineering experience and the analytical experience, a little bit kind of that business acumen, mm-hmm. but is also also willing to get a little bit deeper into the weeds of the technical depth of evaluating models, evaluating technologies. So of course, right, there's the one thing about, about the idea of it being unicorn, but I think a key thing that we also want to push in this role would be the idea of understanding the importance of the patient mm-hmm. being at the center of it. So definitely have to have the, you know a little bit of the engineering and the product mindset. But I think that a really big important thing to inspire is the culture. So making sure that somebody is able to understand the importance of 
patient centricity and autonomy. Mm-hmm. It's we don't want to we don't want somebody who's pushing like, hey, this data science, you know, it's going to solve everything. They just need to give us their data and then we'll manage everything. No, it's got to be a give and take relationship. So if they give us if they give us data, we need to be able to give them back something so that they have an incentive in order to share that information. Because Inspire is its mission and goal is actually to promote medical science. So mm-hmm. it's trying to work together. It has relationships with the FDA. Um, and other research bodies trying to understand how can they better understand these conditions from the patient perspective. And so at Inspire, they call that the patient voice. So having someone in a role who understands the technologies, but also understands the human element, I think that's really important for Inspire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And where is Inspire located? Where would this role be based? So this would be based on the DC area. Inspire's located in Arlington, Virginia. Okay. So. So- Right, it's going to be right next to the new Amazon headquarters. <laughs> nice, uh, DC. You mean Washington DC, right? Washington DC. Sorry. Okay, gotcha. Um, awesome. Well, and uh, finally, if somebody's interested, how do they get in touch? Like, I'm assuming you would make the referral. How do they get in touch with you? Uh, so they can uh, reach me obviously on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, so Morgan Andrew Mendis, M E N D I S. Um, that's that's my last name, but yeah, please feel free to send me a message on LinkedIn. I'm happy to share more information. Um, gotcha. But if you and also want to look up the Inspire website, it's www.inspire.com. Oh, nice, very cool. And we will of course share those links in the show notes. So if anybody out there is interested in a VP of Data Science position, which don't we don't talk that often about on the podcast, there's the opportunity. And also, I think this was very cool to hear even. Uh, if you're not interested, I think it's, it shows an example of what people are looking for in a VP of data science role and, and what those roles are like. Um, so yes, thanks a lot, Morgan, for sharing that. Hopefully, you'll get some really cool applicants for this role. And it sounds like the company is doing some very good things for the community. And uh, so tell us a bit about your dreams now. Like you, congratulations, first of all, you're pursuing your dreams. You're in IT. You're, you know, you've completely change the course uh, of your career now and uh, your life sounds really exciting uh tell us like how did it all transpire and so i was all just i was i was just a little kid you know back in maryland um and i was dreaming of you know how can i eventually grow up to give back to the world and um i was telling you earlier that it all stemmed from the idea that I want there to be more economic opportunity in the world, economic de- development. And it kind of stems from, in order to have economic opportunity, you need to have some kind of education, you need to have some kind of skill. Mm-hmm. But before you can pursue education, you need to be able to pursue, have good health. Mm-hmm. So that's why I really got into healthcare. My goal was to get into global health. However, the positions are extremely competitive. And that's why I, I was bored at an insurance company. Um, I was working part-time during my final semester of college. So I started learning R and that's kind of how I got into data science. And that kind of led me down the road to eventually finding myself in a position where here in Haiti, they needed somebody who was able to do data analysis and data visualization and really string together all of their information systems. And that's how I ended up here in Haiti. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're now the principal data scientist at what's the company called? So yeah, I have two. 
I'm actually doing two things down here in Haiti. One mm-hmm. is that I'm working with a nonprofit organization called the Caris Foundation. Mm-hmm. And there I have I took the title as health informatics consultant. Mm-hmm. However, I'm also working to start uh, the first data science lab mm-hmm. here in Haiti called IT Analytics. And there we're trying to train the first generation of data scientists in Haiti. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited to hopefully push forward the opportunities of Haitians to pursue analytics and to use data science to improve the state of the nation. Wow, that's a very another very noble cause. Um, and yeah, like what kind of challenges you only started this like a few like a week a few weeks ago like what kind of challenges are you expecting along the way so i was mentioning to you earlier that there's a lot of current political um, instability in haiti so it's tough to get people to come into come into the office every day um internet access might be intermittent here um sometimes people lose power so it's really difficult to have some kind of cadence in terms of scheduling so we understand that for people sometimes to get to a location where we're having the on-site trading, that could be a challenge. Mm. Um, you know, getting a, getting around the city, um, there's often roadblocks. So it's common here for you to be in many WhatsApp groups in order mm. to get information on which streets are available. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one challenge is transportation and for people coming in. Um, Another challenge, obviously, is that for people to take the time off to spend to learn data science, to invest that time, they need to potentially not be working, or they might need to be working twice as hard um, as other professionals in other countries where they might be able to have a safe location where they can have internet access mm-hmm. um, you know, to learn the code. Because um, a, right, a lot of data science learning requires online content. Yeah. And if you can't get people physically in your proximity to help mentor you it's difficult you need you need to be able to reach them via the internet and mm. that that's a challenge here so we we're experiencing that challenge another challenge is that there's not a lot of resources um in haitian creole and in french for data science so i was very excited that you were telling me that super data science has some of um, some of their courses in french because that's definitely something we're going to be interested in yeah no for sure and uh, as i mentioned i would be more than happy to support a mission like that and provide uh, free SDS accounts to you know uh, to your community to make sure that they're you know learning and like we can do as much thing. I always love when people are doing things like this. And this was like what was surprising me when you were speaking just now that you effectively turned down a vice president of data science opportunity in a up and growing company with uh, which is ma- making a massive impact in the world um something that people would just love to have with a lot of people are aspiring to have and build their career towards the vp of data science position you effectively turn that down to move to a country where you're facing lots and lots of challenges and at the same time like by your voice i'm sure our listeners will agree i can tell you're happy you're like excited you're living your dream how does that add up? Like you turn down a massive progression in your career in order to follow your dreams in a in a completely different environment, uh, which seems like much less secure, much less safe. But at, and yet you're very happy. Tell us, how do you feel about all this? So one thing I have to say is that Haiti is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Um, mm. And I know 
I know, Kirill, you we were talking earlier about that we both are avid travelers. Mm-hmm. Um, I am just blown away being here. I love the culture. I love the food. I love the music. Um, it's it's such a beautiful place. And I think that when you talk about the opportunities of like people and their career progressions, um, some people, you know, they want to be in a management position. They want to be in a position where they're being able to make big, high-level strategic decisions. Um, I have always been on more of the community organizing side of things where I want to be down with the people. Um, I love learning languages because I like talking to people and I like learning about their problems. And generally what I've noticed is that providing simple solutions that aren't complicated that can change somebody's life to me is much more rewarding than building these really complicated tools and models that kind of sit behind, you know, sit in a server somewhere that nobody ever sees and potentially doesn't change their life. It might make somebody, you know, a few more uh, percentage points of ROI on their investment vehicle, or it might, you know, save a couple dollars for a supply chain. However, for me, it's about changing somebody's life. It's about talking to people. It's about hearing about how can I make it so they can live a more rewarding life? Because, you know, data science has given me the opportunity to live a rewarding life. Um, you know, our education as a society, our development as a civilization has all been towards, you know, pushing the whole race forward. It's not about us individually or us in tribes. It's just about us coming together. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's about different, different interests, different passions. Um, you have to choose what you find valuable in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Your um, your fulfillment, uh, happiness, they don't really come from accomplishment or grow, going up the career ladder. And sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes you might find it exciting, but sometimes you just want something else in life, and that's totally normal. It's it's uh, it's important to be able to let go of things and move on to, as you said, you're following your dreams. It's uh, no better place to be. So very excited for you. Very, very pumped. I can't wait to hear some of the great things you'll do. Maybe like in a year, year and a half, we can do another podcast where you'll tell us about all the things you've created in IET and you know how many people you've gotten up to speed with data science. I think that would be very cool. Yeah, well, I have to push you is that I would argue for me, success would be that you are inviting somebody from IT analytics who we've trained mm. um, and, you know, who we've got off the ground to be on the show to talk about what they've done in, you know, maybe the last nine months. Nice. That would be, to me, success. That would make me happy. That is awesome. All right. Okay. Let's plan that in. Sounds like a, sounds like a good idea. Um, okay. So let's, uh, let's take this opportunity that we're on the podcast. And I, what I would love to do is you're by far one of the most advanced data scientists I've encountered in uh, my, you know, speaking with data scientists, meeting people, traveling around the world. Um, and I want to, that's you know one of the other reasons why I invited you on the show. I really want to share your experience of advanced data science with our audience and see like what kind of takeaways they can get. So the things that you're teaching in IIT and the people that you're getting up to speed there, I think they're going to be very lucky to have such a great mentor as you uh, leading them. So I'd love to see what kind of 
uh, insights you can also share with our audience here. How does that sound? Do you mind going through a couple of your um, case studies or use cases of data science that you've done in the past? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll have to preface it with the fact that I don't consider myself even within the top 10% of data scientists. So I appreciate the compliment, but I think that what I do, I do is that I take models and I take whatever tools best fits the situation. And hey, sometimes that's Excel. I, I make that argument all the time is that you don't need advanced tools. Sometimes you just have to use the tools to the full capability or full extent. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to go through um, some of the more some of the case studies that we that we've discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's get started. So, do, are you going to be fine if we go through your experiences like post graduation, like one by one, like ChenMed, Alidade, and so sure. on? Sure. Is that better? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. Awesome. So, in that case, let's uh, let's get started, and perhaps let's just go through your experiences after graduation one by one. Uh, you mentioned that uh, in your email that the first um, role that you had post-college graduation was at ChenMed. So like, what did you do there and what kind of tools did you use? Sure. So I first, when I got out of college, I started as a business analyst at ChenMed. Um, so they're a medical provider. They run several different facilities across South Florida and they've opened up across um, the Southeast. Mm -hmm. But my position really was using Excel to do a lot of business analytics. Um, so that was writing reports, um, copying charts and putting them into PowerPoint. And all of this, I was a little frustrated. I was like, we can be doing a lot, automating a lot of this with R. Mm -hmm. And so what I started doing was that I started automating a lot of the work that I was doing in R. Um, and I would actually show up really early in the morning before mm -hmm. everybody else, seven o'clock, mm -hmm. so I could start automating the reports. And my manager had no idea that I was secretly automating the reports. But the reason why I would, I would stay late is because I was then using the data to then explore different tools and different libraries in R. So one of the things was we had a challenge of understanding how to move different. Uh, one of the patient offices was closing, and we wanted to reallocate people to different offices within mm -hmm. the geographic region. Mm -hmm. Very simple, took the data convert it into longitude latitudes, place it into GG, with GG maps onto a map. And then I was able to calculate the distances to the local offices and say, hey, we can put all of, the, all of the patients to this office and they won't reach capacity. We can put the other patients to this office and they won't reach capacity. And based on proximity, they'll still be able to do it within their regular commutes and it won't be that much of a transition for the patient populations. Mm -hmm. So very, very simple things like that. Um, taking existing tools, right? But my key thing was, hey, I already know these tasks exist out there. Let me just try and automate them. And that way I can get more access to the data to explore what else we can do. Mm -hmm. What's an example of the automation that you were performing in Excel with R? So there was a lot of opening up at different spreadsheets, um, setting up linkages, um, lots of different what we would consider typically to be unions or concatenations of the data sets. And so that was a simple thing is that I would have to wait potentially for a new data set to come in or a new Excel file to come in before I could potentially do my full report or run my aggregations like the pivot tables. And to me, I was like, pivot tables are cool, but you know, 
there's nothing special about them. We, we're familiar with them in group buys and SQL. So I started just saying, writing up scripts. So I was like, okay, once the data comes in, boom, run the script. And the data is going to be pumped down to a new Excel spreadsheet. I just have to then move a table into, into a PowerPoint and focus more of my time on analyzing the data for the key insights that we'd be providing back to the to the office professionals rather than spending my time trying to make sure that my indexes and my V lookups match up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. So, so again, it's about, it's about taking the time so that you can focus on analysis and understanding the data rather than focusing on, hey, am I looking at the right file? Hey, am I making, is there any kind of data validation errors going on? That's another example is that if you need to validate the data, Mm -hmm. Or if you necessarily had issues with potentially the formatting in Excel, with R, with Python, you can automate most of that, do, all, do unit testing in order to validate the data, and so that you don't necessarily need to spend your valuable time as an analyst um, checking these small little boxes. You can spend more of your time understanding the data, understanding what was the process of which the data got to you by, and potentially how can you make it more valuable when you send it off to the next person? Mm -hmm. I love it. So you're freeing up your time from checking small things or concatenating data, doing these recurring tasks in order to have more time for exploration. That's, that's, that's a really, really cool thing. And it sounds a lot like uh, robotic process automation, this type of um, automation. Were, were they... These, the scripts that you wrote, did they? Did you need to like run them yourself, or were they running in the background, like every night or something like that? No. So, again, this was this is part of of me. Actually, I had to write the scripts, and there was no automation. I couldn't set up a cron job at the time. Mm -hmm. So, they at at this organization, a ChenMed, they were pretty um, tight about what tools you could use and what access you could get to the internal systems. So there was no way that I could just, okay, I'm going to go hack into their system and, and set up this cron job or set up this automation process. <laughs> I had to, I wrote the scripts. So that's why I would come in early yeah. and I didn't mind coming in early because then I said, Hey, I get to spend the rest of the day exploring and innovating with the data. So I don't mind coming in early to just run the script. Mm -hmm. Um, I can do it while I'm having my cafecito. Mm -hmm. This was while I was in Miami, so. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love the Cuban coffee. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Very cool. I think it's a very valuable um, insight or uh, career advice for people. Like if you find yourself doing recurring things where stuff can be automated, automate. And I love your dedication. Like already you can tell you're loving what you do. You come in early, you stay late, you're having fun along the way. Fantastic. What, what was next? Where did you yeah. go after ChenMed? So after that, because I wanted to get more access to actually deploying more advanced data science and actually using more, more tools, um, I took a job at Allidate as a data analyst. Mm -hmm. And so the first day when they hired me, they were like, yeah, you can use R. That's great. And once I started, the engineers looked at me and said, no, this is a Python shop. You got to learn Python. <laughs> and... <laughs> So they didn't so know what I they just, use at the interview. No, so originally the rest of the analytics team at the time was using SAS. Uh -huh. And I, I had I had studied econometrics of Stata in my undergrad. So I was kind of familiar with the idea of SAS, but I was like, hey, it's not open source. It's not my um 
it's not my go-to tool. Mm-hmm. But when they suggested I learn Python, I was like, I've been looking for an excuse to really ramp myself up on that. And so luckily I had a really good mentor at the company, uh, a gentleman by the name of Jim Fulton, who really provided a lot of a lot of guidance to me in learning Python and learning some very good standards for software development. And I don't consider myself a software developer by any means, but he definitely helped guide me along mm-hmm. and helped me learn about a lot of the tools, even though he wasn't working in data science, about how you could use Python for data science. He'd been he'd been using Python for so long, he's like, no, of course this makes sense. It's a great tool for, for data analytics. Mm-hmm. So, so at that point, I started exploring Python and Postgres and really got excited about it because I was like, oh man, this opens up a whole new set of tools and opportunities for me to either automate or explore new new modeling techniques um, and connecting different tools. So again, it's, for me, it's all about finding the right set of tools to improve the process. And then as you improve the process, you're going to get a lot of gains across the organization. Mm-hmm. So it was I, I was really enjoying at that point. But a lot of my most enjoyable experiences there was actually more leveraging my training in economics to do econometrics. So at Allidade, they are working for what's called accountable care organizations. And they were, in a similar vein to ChenMed, they were trying to push patient centricity in a new movement that was called value-based care. Mm -hmm. And so we started exploring how can we analyze the data to make make the system more effective to providing optimal care to patients while also reducing the cost of care, Mm -hmm. right? So that's a huge issue that, you know, healthcare is very expensive. So is there potential, not necessarily to reduce the medical services, but but instead to say which kinds of medical services are going to have the greatest gains Mm -hmm. for patients? Okay, very very interesting. Okay, and so you were able to actually leverage your econometrics and combine that with data science. What what are your takeaways from that? That's not often do those two get combined by data scientists. Yeah, so I think the the really interesting aspect was that what and this is what I really start really understanding the enjoyment of doing data science was that we are using statistics to do these evaluations and to better understand, you know, what we call medical interventions or different treatments for different um, patient populations. And the really interesting thing is that I was able to do like some complex analyses and, you know, make some strategic decisions, which changed our program delivery mm-hmm. in terms of how we we suggested our health system work. Mm-hmm. And I remember years later, after doing this analysis, I was reading um, in Health Affairs, which is a really popular um, journal for, for health data and analysis. And a group of researchers had published some findings that I had already uncovered earlier <laughs> in, at this company. The difference, though, was that after I did my analysis, I had found some discrepancies in what our original hypothesis was. And so I went down and did deep dives into the data. Then I went up and I called actual people who were working in the sites to come up with a patient narrative, like, so to better understand the data. And then we were able to use that narrative to explain the model and explain the results to other people. Because a lot of, a lot of people don't want to see, you know, your regression outputs, right? Mm-hmm. 
that that's not the thing that's going to change their mind. Mm-hmm. What's going to change their mind is if you give them a story, give them mm-hmm. a story that they can remember so they can better understand, you know, in the future, be like, oh, this kind of sounds like what Morgan was telling me about this story. And so I thought it was really interesting that I remember reading through the article and at the end, they identified this area, but they didn't provide any narrative or any explanation. Mm-hmm. And that was the benefit to me was that having this opportunity to actually within a, within a data science capacity to actually be able to use these advanced methods and get to the same conclusions as academics, but being able to work with actual practitioners to come up with a narrative that's going to change the system. That's the exciting thing. Mm-hmm. Is that why you use the uh, Tableau in this role to explain these things in a more visual way? Yes. Yes and no. Um, so Tableau was a, one of the one of the tools that we used to obviously help tell the narratives. Um, I we we also used Tableau as a business intelligence tool, mm-hmm. and it just allowed us to rapidly take all of the massive amounts of data we had and quickly churn it out. So I think when I think about Tableau and I think about its value, I think about how quickly you can transform data into insights. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than you still need to, it's not going to replace the opportunity to spend time with people talking mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the, the one thing I want to um, emphasize here is that Tableau is great for being able to present information, but it's not going to replace the storyteller. It's just an aid or tool to, you know, help you as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. But you got to make sure you have a story, story to tell. And <laughs> there's a quote that, I, that I'm reminded of that stories happen to those who know how to tell them. Ah, nice. Very beautiful. Very beautiful quote. Um, okay. So you managed to combine these two uh, fields, econometrics and data science. Um, what else did you experience in this role? Because there are some other, you know, like... You, tools you use you not just python you also use r you use both python and r in this role is that right so i really preferred actually the statistical output from r so there are some regression models at the time that i couldn't find in python and i just felt a little bit more comfortable with the robustness of all the output that r was giving me and you know as your listeners may well, well know is that you know r was designed really by statisticians. It was born out of S. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of model development historically that's been done in R. And there's a lot of really interesting modeling that's or innovative modeling that's been done in R previously before it got into Python or before data science blew up to what it is today. So uh, at the time, you know, I really liked using Python because it helped me connect my different solutions, but I like to use R when I was actually doing the evaluations. But if I was building a new data product, for example, or you know, connecting some SQL to build a web application, then I was going to go to Python, and um, I might then just have a have Python execute an R script if needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No. That's that's uh, makes sense. I've heard of uh, that done before, but since then, have you moved completely to Python, or are you still using a combination of the two? So I definitely go to Python. Like um, I just got, you know, at at my new position, I haven't installed R R Studio yet. <laughs> um, mm. 
But for example, I was working um, on the side doing a research project with a, a former colleague and he asked me, he was like, you know, would you mind doing this in R so that I can follow along um, with your code? And I said, of course, you know, that's 100% a valid reason to use a language is that you can collaborate with others. Mm-hmm. If your team is, isn't using Python, don't force Python on them. Use the tool that's going to best enable you guys to work together. Because to me, collaboration is way more important than um, you know, your personal speed in, in a language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, to- totally agree. So, um, right, so as I understand, you're mostly using Python now, but you still use both from time to time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, anything else? Did you use any advanced, uh, I don't know, maybe like deep learning in that role? Oh, no, no. Have not, I have not actually had the opportunity to explore deep learning um, in production. I've only been able to play around with it um, in my like personal side projects, but nothing in production yet. Okay, gotcha. And so when you would deploy models into production, would you then later maintain them and make sure that, you know, like check up on them, that they're working well? Yeah, I think I think that's a key thing, um, of course, is that, you know, every, depending on the data interval um, of your data. So, for example, we might be reevaluating models on a monthly basis because, mm-hmm. for example, they were, they were getting data from, from the government um, at a monthly basis. And because of the lag in terms of getting complete records, and mm-hmm. claims data, mm-hmm. you might only be getting a portion of of a given month. So you're going to have to wait almost three to four months before you have a full picture of all of the events that transpired in a given month. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to, you have to keep updating your models regularly to incorporate the new data or potentially corrections to the data that might be coming. So especially if you're dependent on, on data coming from an, a third party, Mm-hmm. Right, they might change. They might change their methodology of the for how the data is being sent over to you, right, or mm-hmm. or some other kind of procedure. So you need to be able to quickly. Um, you need to be regularly. I'm sorry, not quickly. You need to be able to regularly go back and reevaluate. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing this uh, role at Alidate. Um, sounds like a, a very important step in your career where you got to learn Python and also um, apply econometrics in combination with data science. Um, yeah, what was the next step after that? So I joined Inspire, the mm-hmm. position we were just talking about, which they're hiring for the VP of data science. Mm-hmm. And I was actually the first data science hire at mm-hmm. the company. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so it was a really... You know, it was kind of a greenfield opportunity, and I actually got to learn a lot about all the different aspects of data science in terms of, you know, building up first key analytics and then moving to challenges such as buy versus build. Mm -hmm. So I think I ran the gamut um, at Inspire, the different things I did. So I had some fun, you know, building out like time series regressions to forecast member growth. Mm-hmm. Um, that was obviously that's that's fun modeling. Um, the other thing was you know working with AWS and setting up different systems to build a data lake. So mm-hmm. the, just to start there is that because it was a greenfield opportunity and that was the first data science hire, 
I had a different perception of the way systems need to work in order to produce high quality analytics. Mm-hmm. And so the company had existing reports that they needed, but for me, I wanted to get into the exciting work of, hey, let's start building exciting data science products. However, I need to have the data in a format and in an environment that's accessible and was, is going to allow for development. So the first thing I had to do was start designing a data warehouse and building out an ETL process. Mm-hmm. So I want to say that probably half of my job was actually data engineering, and then maybe a quarter was actually doing exciting data modeling and data science, and then another quarter was actually doing much more of like the analytics management of saying, these are the tools that we need to put into place, these are the kinds of resources we need to do, um, and this is how we need to prioritize all of these different objectives and opportunities. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. So they just separate them like that. So data engineering would involve uh, putting the right data sets together and making sure that all data is flowing properly. Is that, is that about right, or is there other um, elements to that role? Um, no, so I would say that it really encapsulates much more than just building the right data sets. Um, uh-huh. It's about identifying where the data is coming from and then mapping out the best processes to put them into putting in putting them into an environment that's accessible for data mm-hmm. scientists or data analysts. Mm-hmm. So I say that much more than just creating data sets because they have a I think a, a good data engineer is like critical to any team. Um, again, I wouldn't consider myself a good data engineer. It was more of you have to get this work done in order mm-hmm. to do the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually more much more related to software engineering, I think, in the sense that you need to be able to put these systems together in a sustainable way so that the data analysts, the data scientists don't need to worry so much about cleaning and validating the data. They can spend more of their time analyzing it and talking with stakeholders to building products. So in that in that role, I was... I first took the data, I explored AWS's data pipelines. That didn't work. Um, I thought about just writing a bunch of my own scripts and setting it up with cron jobs. And I was like, that's not sustainable. So eventually I settled on Airflow. Mm-hmm. And this is a Apache project that's, um, I think it was originally developed by Airbnb. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, it just allows you to set up a lot of jobs that happen in parallel. So you can move data from one system to another, process it uh, multiple times, and you're actually able to create um, a directed acyclic graphs. So you can see in a network how your data is flowing and potentially where there's bottlenecks or potentially where there's errors that are going to break down your ETL process. Okay, wow. And so... You settled down on Airflow, and that uh, and that solution is still running now. Yeah, and wow. yeah, I'm hoping to, to set up a lot more, a lot of other jobs with Airflow in the future. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a great tool. Um, I hope that AWS catches up in their data pipeline, but you know, I always keep my fingers crossed. I think AWS, you know, they're always gonna produce something um, amazing, but right now, I think Airflow is is doing a, a great job. And especially if you're looking for something to quickly get started with to build your own uh, processing, highly suggest it. 
Okay, so tell me a bit more. How does it work? So you you have lots of data sources. You need to put. Uh, you need a. You have an ETL process. How does Airflow facilitate that? Okay, yeah. So Airflow uses um, what's called operators. So you might be writing scripts and writing them as functions as callables in order to move data, transform data, um, or to to produce reports. Right. So you can use Airflow to send messages. Um, you can use Airflow to like to send emails, like automated reports to end users. But the key thing is that you're writing you're writing functional scripts in Python, or you could actually use other languages too. Um, I know it it basically allows you to use whatever language is best suited for you. So you could write Bash scripts if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they use what's called these operators to then call these functions to do these transformations. So Airflow also has, I believe, integrations with um, Redshift and Postgres and many other like popular data data tools that you can then say, hey, I've got this data in my MySQL database. I want to federate it across, let's say, put it into Elasticsearch index, right? And mm-hmm. I'm going to set this index up. So you'll have... I would say, all right, Airflow, copy this data down, put it into, a C- in, into CSVs for MySQL, then store those flat files into S3. Then from S3, I'm going to load them into Elasticsearch and or separately into Redshift. Mm-hmm. Right? And each one of those tasks, moving the data from MySQL to CSV, from, from the CSV to S3, from S3 to whatever data system or storage other system you want for analytical querying, each one of those tasks could be a Python function. And you would then have different nodes set up. And so then you can create dependencies, right? So that one task will only will only execute after successful completion of a previous task, right? Mm-hmm. So it, as you imagine, there can be splits Right, or there can be different tasks happening in parallel, um, and all of that can then be represented via a directed acyclic graph. Mm-hmm. So, if you're a big fan of you know network theory and optimization, as I am, you, you're really excited because then you have a bunch of graphs and nodes, and you can watch them all move and execute, and you just get a little giddy about watching it all happen. <laughs> That's so cool. It sounds like a very advanced version of SSIS that Microsoft provides. Yeah, I have, yeah, I can't say I've worked with SSIS, but um, it yeah, it's open source, so um, I think so you just, can probably. So it's just like a really cool advanced ETL tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. Like I, so I said before, is like Amazon has their data pipeline process, mm-hmm. and it's very similar. Is that you can write scripts, and you can even leverage it with Amazon Lambda functions in order to execute different things. Um, in the same way, like Lambda is just, you know, you're hitting different functions and you have inputs and outputs. Um, similar, I just thought that it was a lot easier to work with Airflow. Um, mm-hmm. It's all in one system rather than going to AWS where you have to work in their ecosystem. You have to configure everything via JSON. Um, the nice thing is that Airflow gives you It'll spin spin up a, like a Flask instance, so you have a web app that you can then interact with. So you can turn on and off different um, operation jobs. And mm-hmm. I was actually um, really impressed. One of my friends showed me that he wrote 
that his company wrote their own custom operators in Airflow, in which they were then able to use what they called Jupyter-centric development. Mm -hmm. And this is a really interesting idea, is that to make data scientists um, you know, able to quickly iterate and prototype and mm -hmm. put things into production, they would just make it so that if you write the the Jupyter notebook so that it executes and builds the model or or you know processes the data whichever way the data analyst and the data scientist want. All mm -hmm. they need to do is to have a notebook that's clean enough and that can run from start to finish successfully. And boom, you just take that notebook, you send it to your data engineer, they put it in the airflow, and you have readable code. Right? Wow. Right? It's a beautiful thing is that you have readable code living and working in production. You don't need to take your code from the Jupyter notebook, copy to a Py script, wrap <laughs> it in another function. No, you just have a Jupyter notebook. It's all there. Very cool. Very cool. That's, a, that's the way it should be, right? Like, why, why should you have to go through all these hoops and create potential for additional errors where you can just, you already have the code, just run it? Yeah. And again, like, like I said, because it's readable and you have all the formatting and the benefits, like, for example, you might have it so that your Jupyter notebook um, is going to produce some kind of visualization of your metrics um, or evaluation of your models. Um, I'm not sure if, if you guys have talked previously about using data visualization to evaluate models in development, mm -hmm. but you know, if you have that in your script, then you could quickly go into Airflow or go into your system, look up the notebook and see, oh, hey, that model that we've been you know, checking up on we can see how well it's performing with the new data via Airflow by just checking the notebook mm -hmm. rather than having to go through another all these other hoops to evaluate the model. Mm -hmm. uh, and evaluating the model, you just mean like uh, the, the lift curve and things like that? Yeah, so you could, yeah, you could have all of those visualizations right there. Yeah, they're just updated with the new data. You don't have to rerun them specifically. Yeah. Very cool. Very useful tool. Thanks. Thanks a lot for the... Uh, debrief on how Airflow works. Uh, it, it makes me like wonder, like Excel, R, GGMaps, SQL, Python, Tableau, Scikit-Learn, AWS, Airflow, Plotly, Flask. You know, all those you've already mentioned, except for Plotly probably, you've already mentioned on this podcast once or twice or many more. Um, is there a limit to the number of tools a an advanced data scientist should know or you just like just keep picking up new ones all the time? No, I, I think, yeah, you, you've got to constantly be learning. Um, you know, like I didn't even touch on like using um, Spark or anything like that. Um, or trying, like right now, I'm, I'm very interested in learning Scala just because I'm like, oh, this is going to be a great language. Then maybe move on to uh, Catlin um, mm -hmm. or something else. But I think that as you learn new tools, you think of, you think of problems in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the key the key thing is that, for example, I love, as I mentioned earlier, I love learning languages because I like talking to people. Mm -hmm. But I also know that what's really interesting in learning languages is that you start thinking in a different way. You start mm -hmm. thinking culturally or you start thinking um, as you approach people in a different way than you might might have thought before. Um, there's a popular theory. I don't know actually how popular it is, but it's called Worf's theorem, mm -hmm. which from linguistics, which says that um, you are limited to the what you can think based on the language that you know, right? Mm. So, for example, we not might not be able to think of a certain solution because we don't have the words 
to envision it or describe mm-hmm. it. So again, I think I was actually listening to one of your previous podcasts about you know the future of AI, um, and I thought this was good. You guys were mentioning you know can you explain an ant language to a monkey? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, can you explain an ant language what a monkey is to an ant, right? But and I think that that's a, a key thing is that as you learn new tools, new languages, you're going to start thinking about problems in a different way, right? And I don't think it's about like like I said, I still go back to Excel to do certain tasks. Yeah. Not because I'm like, oh, Excel is the most advanced tool, but instead I tell people it's like instead of learning necessarily all of these advanced tools, it's like, have you mastered Excel? Because Excel might be the key tool you need to be successful or for your organization to find value in the work you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh um what what languages do you speak out of curiosity? Um, so English, Spanish, and Portuguese, and I'm working now on my French and Haitian Creole. Nice. Very nice. And so what I wanted to, like, uh, to your point, this is a great example that sometimes you cannot think of a solution if you, like, just because we're limited by the language we speak. So, um, I was born in Russia and I, I speak Russian and, uh, like uh, recently I've been I- interested in Eastern European, European languages. Now I'm learning Spanish as well. And I found this very peculiar phenomenon that, for example, in Russian, we don't have a word for a separate word for hands and arms. We just have one word, ruka, and that means hand and arm. So you would be saying, we'd be saying like, shake your, instead of shaking your hands in English, it would translate to shake your arms. And we have, we don't have a separate word for feet versus legs. We just have one word called naga, like put your shoes on your, Russian feet would sound in English, put your shoes on your legs and things like that. So though, and, and that is the same in Czech, uh, Czech language in Polish language, um, in, as far as I know, in some other Eastern European languages, there's just no separate word to distinguish between arm versus hand, uh, foot versus leg. And, uh, I think maybe like, I'm not sure you might, you might comment on this. Like, is that the same in Spanish or not? Um, but like, it just shows that like there are certain limitations as you say and that also as i can see your how you're making this uh point that in data science as well the more tools you know python r excel tableau whatever it is aws uh, scala spark the more opportunities you have to think of different solutions yeah i i think that that's the key thing um is also the culturally relevant, right? Uh, I don't know if in Russian um, it's popular to be. Obviously, I think it, you, you do shake hands. Obviously, in Russia, <laughs> yeah. but how popular it is culturally to think about these things. Um, I was talking to one of my colleagues um, yesterday about the idea that in some some languages they don't have cardinal, like they don't have left and right. They only think in cardinal directions. Interesting, right? So yeah, when they talk about something. They used like the idea of east to west, uh-huh. right, to describe progression, or as time moves, right, or in a story. Uh-huh. And it's like really interesting to think about that. Um, and I think it also goes into also like what's most relevant to a given to a given culture to a given group of people, right? Like um, we know that in some cultures, um, some Native American cultures in Alaska, they they have multiple, like they have over ten words for snow, right? To describe uh-huh. all the different, like types of snow, right? And for 
you know, a single speaker is just like, no, hey, there's snow. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. You get snow, right? Yeah. Um, I actually am wondering, I'm like, I wonder what the Creole word is for snow right now. Because yeah. I don't know how, how often they get to see it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow. Wow. Very, very cool. And it, it's, in addition to like the words or um, use cases in the, in the case of data science or for different um, languages, the programming languages in this case, in addition to that variety that enriches your problem-solving abilities, it also enhances the neural pathways in your brain. If you keep speaking uh, in Spanish and then in English, you're going to use different neural pathways or slightly different neural pathways. Uh, the greater the variance between the languages, the greater you're going to have to engage your brain. Sometimes like learning a language, sometimes I'm sitting there, my head actually hurts because I feel that something is changing. I have to you know, overcome these long neural pathways and new, new ones have to be formed for me to think faster in a new language. Same thing with programming languages. Same thing with all these uh, tools that we use. The more of them you use, the more neural pathways, I believe, your brain is going to develop in order for you to use them faster. And that's going to help you, aid you in coming up with solutions faster as well. Yeah, no, uh, honestly, that's right. That, that's, I think, some of the most exciting thing if you're you're a forever learner is that you know when you're struggling that, mm -hmm. oh, wait, things are changing in your head, right? Yeah. You've got to maybe throw out this, this previous limitation because there was no connection point, though that neural pathway, right? There was no connection point, but now because you've added in this language or you've added in this concept, it allows you to rethink things. And it's like, oh, wait, now I can send information down this way. I can send my, elect right? I can send those neural um, electrodes down that way so I can think of it this way. Um, yeah. oh, I think that that's really, really exciting. And I mean, that's why I think learning languages is a crucial thing to help people conceive of new problems. And as you're talking about like in, in Spanish, um, one thing that I'm always kind of reminded about when I'm speaking with a native Spanish speaker is sometimes my expressions of like, oh, me encanta eso, me encanta. Like, they're like, wait, what? you know, why is it that you, you know, have such a strong, you know, affection towards such an item or affinity towards something? And I don't realize it because in English, we say love to anything. Oh, I love this coffee, you know? Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't say that in Spanish or in French because they're like, that word is, has a lot of significance. It has a lot of meaning behind it. And it makes you start thinking a little bit more about the word choices. And it's actually sometimes interesting to hear people, multilingual people speak because I think that they have a different perception of words potentially and they're more sensitive times than people who are, you know, only speaking one language because they're like, this is the word that we know and it's common understanding, but people are like, no, it's not that common. You, it's all about context and place. And it's the same way with a data science tool is that, for example, me using Python might be advanced to somebody who's only using Excel, right? Mm -hmm. But me using Python might be, you know, trivial to somebody who's only working in um, Scala, or who knows, only working in Julia down the road, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally, totally get what you mean. Yeah, it's all, it's all very relative, and uh, the more you explore, the more, um, the more variety, the more things you can see about you know your past experiences, your future experiences, 
uh, how others are working on tools. I think it's a very exciting, exciting thing to constantly uh, be learning. And it's great to hear from, uh, from you, like, you know, because obviously at the start of your career, it's very exciting to be learning. But in your situation, I know you say you, you don't think of yourself as a highly advanced data scientist. I, I really think of you as a very advanced data scientist. I think from what we discussed on this podcast, uh, our listeners will agree. And it's very inspiring to hear that coming from you, that even once you've accomplished so much and that you're now pursuing your dreams and passion projects and things like that, you're still very excited about learning. So that never stops. And I am truly admirer of that. So thank you a lot for, you know, for that inspiration and in just the way that you approach data science yourself. I appreciate it. I appreciate the compliments, um, but I hope that I can live up to them. <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, and so unfortunately, we're running out of time. And just before we wrap up, I wanted to do one more shout out to this uh, amazing uh, undertaking that you're doing in IET, IET Analytics and how you're changing or bring up this new generation of data scientists who are going to be changing uh, lots of things locally and in the world and bringing good to the world. How can people support this course? Is there anything that our listeners can do um, in order to participate or just um, spread the word about what you're doing in Haiti? Yeah, um, definitely take a look at um, itanalytics.org, which I'm sure Kirill is going to have posted um, on this podcast description. Mm -hmm. But we're definitely looking for collaborators in the U.S., in Europe, um, in Africa, especially as well. Uh, we're really trying to advance data science in the country, and we want to find other practitioners, other advanced data scientists who are willing to give back in terms of their time to help others grow, especially in giving opportunities for, for people who are potentially going to interact with exciting data um, to help develop their own country in, in a way. And so we're definitely looking for collaborators, mentors, um, if, especially if you, know, if you speak Haitian Creole and French. We're also looking for people to help us in terms of translating some of the content that is online into, into the local language. Um, but yeah, if you just want to get involved and talk and talk with some of the students um, and other practitioners in our group, that's also, you know, very welcome. So we we hope that people are interested and they want to collaborate and they want to give back. And I think that that's a key thing is that we're an organization that wants to use data science for the benefit of everybody, and we are really looking for collaborators to come in and try to help us with that. Fantastic! Thank you so much for sharing, and uh, we'll definitely share the. Websites in the show website uh, link in the show notes, but uh, just to mention it here, it's uh, IET Analytics, and IET is spelled A Y I T I. As you mentioned, it's a, it's a play on words on how IET is pronounced, right? Yeah. So that yeah, the phonetic um, pronunciation of IET. Okay, awesome. So yeah. ietanalytics.org if you want to check it out. Um, Morgan, uh, once again, thank you so much. How can our listeners get in touch with you? And you said LinkedIn, right? Is the best way to get in touch with you. Yeah, and if, if they want to also send me an uh, email directly, they can also hit me up at morgan.mendis at itanalytics.org. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So definitely people get in touch. Morgan, you're doing some fantastic work. Um, before I let you go, one more final question for you. What's a book that you can recommend to our listeners to help inspire their careers? 
I'm going to hit you back with two books, actually. Nice. One book that I think transformed my life in data science early on um, was a book called Manga's Guide to Databases. Mm-hmm. So go out, buy this book, give it to... You can give it to somebody who's in middle school. They can mm-hmm. learn databases. They can learn SQL. They can understand how it works from this book. This is how I learned SQL. I learned it. I learned SQL on the fly at, at an internship via this book. Um, 100% believe in it. It's it's really really easy to learn and right. It, it's almost for any level of reader. The other book is I really want to push some human-centered design. So it's the design of everyday things. It's another great book to give you an understanding into how you can use design principles um, in whatever you're, you're hoping to do. Whatever it is, it can always benefit from you know, interacting with your clients or interacting with your stakeholders and really understanding how it can afford them greater value. So the design of everyday things. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So Manga's Guide to Databases and the Design of Everyday Things. Uh, Morgan, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show and you're sharing all your insights, inspiration uh, with us and also just showing us what's it like to live the life of an advanced data scientist. I think we can all aspire towards that. And it's really cool to see how you're following your dreams. And hopefully those of us who can help and assist, we will get in touch and assist you uh, in pursuing your passions and making uh, a difference in other people's lives in data science. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, girl. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Morgan Mendes. And thank you so much for being part of our conversation here today. I know it went a bit over, but I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and got as many useful takeaways from the conversation. For me, the biggest takeaway in terms of contributing to society was, of course, what Morgan's doing with IET Analytics. So if you can help in any way, please get in touch. I've already spoken to Morgan, I've told, and as I mentioned on the podcast, we're going to supply as many Super Data Science courses as needed, absolutely free of charge to this cause in order to help get uh, Morgan's team and the people that they're coaching up to speed with uh, the concepts of data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence. We have, we just counted this out to the podcast, we have about four uh, courses that we already have in French and we're going to be supplying these to IET Analytics in order for them, as as they need these courses, in order for them to uh, help bring people uh, up to speed with data science and make an impact in the world. So get involved if you can. Uh, the website is ietanalytics.org and we'll definitely share that on the show notes. And in terms of technical aspects, my favorite takeaway was Airflow and the whole concept of this advanced ETL tool. I was very excited to hear about that. In fact, we spoke with Morgan after the podcast and I invited Morgan to come and present at Data Science Go 2020 and he agreed. So Morgan is going to be presenting at Data Science Go 2020. We already have the topic. Uh, It's most likely going to be Airflow and Visual Diagnostics for Machine Learning. It's going to be an advanced workshop. Uh, a workshop for uh, the advanced track uh, for advanced practitioners. So if you can make it to Data Science Go, uh, you will get to uh, see Morgan there and perhaps even attend his workshop. Uh, the dates are 6, 7, 8 of November. So uh, as usual, you already know by now, you can get your tickets at datasciencego.com. 
So that is uh, our episode for today. As usual, you can get all the materials that we mentioned, any links uh, to Morgan's um, LinkedIn, to his email, to the projects that he's working on, also to the position that we talked about, the VP of uh, Data Science. You can get all of those things at the show notes at www.superdatascience.com slash 321. That's superdatascience.com slash 321. Uh, check it out and get what you are most you were most interested in, what you were most curious about. Um, and of course, hit Morgan up, connect with him on LinkedIn. Uh, it's great to have advanced data scientists in your network, people whom you can come to with questions, ask uh, about their careers, or just follow their careers and see where it takes them. It's always inspiring to see what an advanced data scientist, how they choose to structure their career moving forward. On that note, once again, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, if you'd like to meet Morgan, check out datasciencego.com and I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>